started with worship. singing praise to God. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to
Paul writes in Philippians about our Lord Jesus Christ, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore God has also exalted him highly and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What an awesome God we serve, what an awesome Savior we have. Fair is Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature. Oh, thou of God and man, the Son, the take the Lord's Supper together. Why did my Savior come to earth and to the humble go? Why did He choose a lowly bird? Because He loved me so. He loves 
Father, we're thankful for this beautiful Lord's Day. And Father, we're thankful for the first day of the week where we can gather around this table to remember the greatest sacrifice ever, the sacrifice of your Son, Heavenly Father. And Father, we're thankful that you allowed him to come to this earth to take our sins to the cross. And dear Father, as we partake of this bread, we pray that our minds will go back to the cross and remember that sacrifice. And Father, may we partake of this in a manner pleasing unto thee. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the opportunity to commemorate your son's death on the cross. At this time, we're thankful for this cup, which represents his blood that was shed on the cross for our sins. Help us to partake in a worthy manner, for we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. He paid a debt he did not owe, I owed a debt I could not Heavenly Father, we're so thankful again for the day that you've allowed us. And dear Father, we know that every blessing that we have comes from you, every good and perfect gift. And dear Father, we're thankful for the opportunity we have at this time to give back. 
Dear Father, we pray as we give that we will give cheerfully. And dear Father, we pray that these monies will be used to further spread your word in this community and throughout the world. And Father, thank you for your love, for your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. to take a, a moment and welcome Doyle and Mary Boucher to our family today at uh, the Mount Juliet congregation and their health prevents them from being here today but the elders have uh, met and prayed with them recently and have been checking up on them. Uh, please uh, take this opportunity to, uh, to welcome them. Their contact information is in the church bulletin that's run today and they are the parents of Doyleen Lassiter. So uh, God is doing a lot of wonderful things here at Mount Juliet. Let's sing a song of praise and thanksgiving to Him before our prayer today. Worthy of praise is Christ our Redeemer. Worthy of glory, honor, and power. Worthy of all our soul's adoration. Worthy art Thou. Worthy art Thou.
Would you bow as we go to Father in prayer? Most holy, precious, and mighty, Jehovah our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy most holy name. We bow our heads in reverence to thee at this time, O Lord, as we approach thy throne of mercy. We gather together as thy people, O Lord, today to cast aside the daily cares of life, to sing songs of praises and lift them up to you, O Lord, to glorify thee in thy most holy name, to worship and praise thee, O Lord, to acknowledge the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and to thank you for that great hope of eternal life when this life is over. When you look in our midst, O Lord, of your people here at Mount Julep, pray, dear God, that you will comfort those who are, are hurting, O Lord, for there are many. We pray that you will heal those who are sick, as we know there are many, and we know that thou art the great physician. We pray that you will humble the strong, O Lord. We pray that you will strengthen the weak and lift them up, O Lord. We pray that you will fill our empty tanks with love, that we can survive another week. We pray for the eldership and their families. We pray, dear God, that you will give them knowledge and wisdom as they lead us down a pathway of life and pray it will be in a manner pleasing to thee, O Lord. We pray they will never compromise the truth, but hold fast to the doctrine that we have known. We pray, dear God, that you will be with the, elder, with the deacons and be with those teachers and everyone who is so active and gives so much of their time. Just bless them and their families, O oh Lord. And we pray for each individual member that goes about living their daily lives for you, O oh Lord. And we now pray, O oh Lord, as we enter our worship service, that it will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' most precious name. We pray. Amen. Today in our lesson, we'll be learning about the church and how it's a body, how it's unified, and uh, how we are separate in a sense, but also how we are united in one uh, entity in a sense. And so uh, we're going to sing a few songs that kind of match that theme. Uh, will you please stand and we'll sing a couple of songs for our scripture reading and lesson today. <clears throat> Once I stood in the night with my head bowed
us together, Lord, bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together, Lord, bind us together with love. There is only one God. There is only one King. seated, please. Scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. We'll start at verse 1 and read 1 through 6. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. If you're looking at the Pew Bible, that is on page 1039. 1039. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. We've had a lot of encouragement this past week. Uh, We've heard a bell being rung in our office many times uh, over this past week. And uh, what that bell is, is every time John Michael receives a call from a single mom saying that she wants to schedule an appointment for the car care clinic, he rings the bell. And uh, it's the way that, that brightens all of our days. And this happened several times over this past week. Uh, In the foyer, you can pick up invitations to the Single Moms Car Care Clinic. They look like the ones that's on the screen there. And I want to encourage you to be praying about this. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet invited a single mother, uh, be praying for one that maybe you know that you've been trying to make contact with and trying to help in some way. And what better way to introduce someone to the Lord's Church than by having the Lord's Church serve them? And what wonderful opportunities we have in doing this. And so be sure and uh, do your part in this, whether it's uh, working on that particular day or if it's giving invitations out or praying about it. But let's pray that God's will will be done in all of this. Maybe you've heard an orchestra. Maybe you you love the sound of an orchestra. Can you imagine someone walking in and, and expecting to hear a beautiful performance, but instead they walked in early? And what they hear is the tuning up and they, and they hear the, the members getting settled in their seats and settling their instruments and settling their, their music on the stand. And, and if they had never heard that before, 
that would be somewhat of a surprise. That, in comparison to what they would have expected to hear, would be chaotic. But then the director walks out. And as the director walks out, there's a focused attention upon the director. And everything becomes quiet. And then at the proper signal, they prepare their instruments. And at the next signal, they join in. And usually, it's the most beautiful sound. Isn't it interesting when each one plays their instrument, but they have their focus on one director and on one piece of music, how beautiful the sound can be. Do you realize that God wants His church to be a beautiful orchestrated work? God sent His Son, Jesus, and Jesus brought directorship. He is the head of the church. And He gives to each of us a place in the body. We don't have the same instruments, but we do play the same piece of music. I think about a quote that I read recently that when I read it, I said, wow, that's good. I reread it again and I said, I'm using that Sunday morning in the introduction. The quote says this, the church is not designed to exist as a divided entity any more than our human bodies are designed to exist as separate parts. Our bodies cannot function or survive as sectioned and independent divisions, and neither can the Lord's church. Tim Martin wrote that. It's in your Bible lesson that you'll study in your adult classes this morning as you'll be studying this beautiful topic from the aspect of 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, most likely. Now, as we think about this statement that Tim made, think about how, how true, how essential it is, and how easy it is for us to understand this from the physical body. We understand that each member of our body is capable of doing something only if it is in connection with the physical body. Let's say that you had some things that you needed to write. Maybe you had some notes that you needed to write. Maybe you had a term paper you needed to write. Maybe there's a project uh, uh, for work that you needed to write. And what about if you were about to leave the house this morning and, and you said to yourself, you know what, I've got so much to do. I'm just going to leave my hands at home. And I'm going to go on to worship, and I'm just going to leave my hands at home, and I'm going to let them do that. Well, the only way you'd even fathom that would be in a horror movie. In reality, that would never pass through your minds. Now, isn't it interesting that it is just as true, it's just we have a hard time accepting it sometime and practicing it. It is just as true in the body of Christ. If somebody says, somebody says, I, I love the Lord and I want to be in the Lord's service. I, I really don't have much appreciation for the church. I, I don't want to work along with the church. I just want to serve the Lord. Oh, so you want to, you want to cut Christ's hands off. And you want to separate the hands from the body. And you want to be a hand out here separate from the body. It will not work. And that's what you're going to see in Bible class this morning. The beautiful illustration of 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. I'd like for you to think for just a moment as we think about this and we think about the orchestra. How important are you in the body of Christ? God's given you an important role to play. He's given you important gifts and abilities. He's given you an important instrument to play in the orchestra of life. What is God's divine plan for you in His body? I assure you there is one. 
And there would be many in this audience right now that they are fulfilling that and, and, and it's creating a beautiful sound out to the community and even to each other within the church. But there might be others that, that can honestly say, I'm still searching for that or I haven't really found that. And I would urge you today to realize how important it is for us to find our place. And, and that's what you'll be studying a whole lot in Bible class. But now I'd like for us to back up to this passage in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and see that we can only do that and continue to do that if we are unified. When we look at Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the first three verses, you'll notice that those three verses make up one sentence. And that sentence closes by saying, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's as if everything in that sentence is written to describe either how important or how to accomplish or how to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Now, it doesn't matter if it's in Greek or if it's in English. The word unity is real easy to define and understand. The word unity means one. The unity of the Spirit. God wants us to be unified. We can do so much for Him. We can accomplish so much only if we work as one unit. Many members, but one unit. Many instruments, but one orchestra. One unit. It's so important for us to have that unity of the Spirit. Unity in you? No. Unity in me? No. Unity in our elders? No. Unity in who? Unity in the Spirit of God. We will not know anything of God unless the Spirit of God has revealed it to us. And so when we hold the Scriptures, we're holding Scriptures that have been inspired by the Holy Spirit. We know God's will. We know how we can be unified in the Spirit. So what would it look like? For just a moment, let's think about these three verses. In verse 1, he talked about walk worthy of the calling of which you're called. You have an invitation to become a child of God if you're not already a child of God. And that's not an invitation from us or for anybody on earth. That's an invitation from God. It's a calling. He wants you to be His child. Walk worthy of that calling. What did it cost for you and I to have that opportunity to walk, in other words, to behave, our conduct, our life? What did it cost for us to have the opportunity to walk with the Lord? It costs the blood of His Son. That's a high price. Now He says, okay, now that you realized how much it cost, you walk worthy of that calling. Now keep in mind, this worthy calling is going to take us to the unity of the Spirit. Now, let's go to the hard part and then back up and see how to accomplish it. If all you and I were doing was walking with the Spirit, that would probably be a pretty easy thing compared to what the next thing is going to lead us to in this text. You see, if you were walking alone with the Spirit, or if I were walking alone with the Spirit, that means we only have to get along with who? The Spirit. But what if you're walking with the Spirit, and I'm walking with the Spirit, and we're going to have unity of the Spirit, now who do we have to get along with? We get along with the Spirit and with each other. And now let's say that there's going to be a hundred people that say they want to walk in unity of the Spirit. Now we have to get along with the Spirit and a hundred other people that are walking. If we're really going to have unity of the Spirit. And you multiply that time hundreds. And, and then you have a lot of people that want to be unified in the Spirit. But that's a wonderful thing. But now here's the question. How are we going to unify all these people? It's not easy. 
God knows it's not easy for us as humans. And so he gives us some teaching that it's not easy. It's easy to understand, but it is a challenge. And so he says, okay, what I want you to have is I want you to walk worthy of that calling that's going to lead to a unity of the spirit. Well, what's that calling going to look like? Well, when you walk with each other, look at verse two there. He says, you're going to have to walk with lowliness. You're going to have to walk in humility. In other words, you're going to have to lift the spirit much more important than you. So you're walking in submission, but you're also going to have to honor and lift others up greater than yourself. So now there's no arrogance if we're unified in the spirit. There is no one here that's sitting on a higher stool than anyone else. There's no one here in a place of luxury in the Lord's church and someone else is on the edge of poverty. There's no such thing in the Lord's church. There's no one here that God looks down upon and says, everybody else, make sure that you look at yourself greater than them. Humility. Notice the second thing. As he speaks of this humility, he says also with gentleness, depending on your translation, it might be meekness. How are we going to react with each other? How are you going to react when somebody smacks you on one cheek? So we're talking about unity here. If someone here hit you on one cheek, would it destroy the unity of this body? If somebody here lied about you, would it destroy the unity of this body? If someone here gossiped about you, would it destroy the unity of this body? Notice all of this is leading to the unity of the Spirit. There is a walk that is worthy. It's something we will not do on our own. But if we walk worthy of the calling, he says, we're going to humble ourselves and we're going to be gentle. We're going to be meek. In other words, we're going to hand the reins of our life over to God. God, I found out that when I operate my life, I react to people in the wrong way. I say things I shouldn't say. I do things that I shouldn't do. And I realize that if I'm going to walk in unity with you, God, I'm going to have to hand the reins over to you. And I'm going to have to respond to people based on how you want me to respond to people, not based on how I want to respond to people. And if I do that, and if you do that, and if everybody in here does that, we will have unity of the Spirit because we're all going to respond to each other based upon how God wants us to respond to each other. And so we are humble, and we humbly hand the reins over, and we believe that everybody is worthy of this kind of behavior from us and and then notice what the next thing in this interesting how these work together humility hand the reins off and what's the next thing I know what we want to hear the next thing is we want to hear oh it's going to be so nice it's going to be so easy you just hand the reins over to God and it is wonderful no he says hand the reins over to God and get ready to suffer long so when they hurt you what are you going to do you're going to retaliate no God says vengeance is mine I'll take care of that you just be willing to suffer long now notice the next thing suffer long and just ignore them and pretend that they're not even on this earth well i have really done my christian duty you know what they they lied about me the other day about this and you know what i didn't retaliate now i haven't spoken to them and i don't even look at them when i go to church but but i tell you what i'm really a great christian because i didn't retaliate and god says no 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 you don't get it we're in this together And you've handed the reins over. And so now as you're suffering long, I want you to turn around. And he would say in 1 Corinthians 13 and 4, I want you to suffer long and be kind. Here he would say, I want you to suffer long and bear their burden. So they've just hurt you. You've handed the reins over to God. And you say, I'm not retaliating, but I tell you what I will do. I'll see what it is that I can help them. Usually when people hurt you, usually they're hurting themselves. 
hurt people, hurt people. So what is it that you can do that would serve them? What is it that you can do that would help them through this difficult time? Galatians 6 and 2, bear ye, uh, uh, verse 4 or 5, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Think about that. This is all leading to what? Unity of the Spirit. If we're going to have unity of the Spirit, we've got to walk that we would not walk naturally, but we can choose to walk it. And so how are we going to interact with each other? We're going to interact with each other in humility and gentleness and meekness, long-suffering, forbearing with one another. And then, is it going to be easy? No. Endeavoring is a very strong word. It has to do with working speedily, efficiently, uh, and effectively. It has to do with labor and with study. That's why when Paul in in, uh, 2 Timothy 4 and 9, he said, do your diligence to come to me quickly. It's this very same word of endeavor. And and in, in the King James translation in 2 Timothy 2 and 15, when he says, study to show thyself approved unto God, it is this word endeavor. That's why in in the New King James, it says, be diligent. And and so the idea is, I'm going to take this, I'm going to study on it, I'm going to focus on it, and I'm going to put it to work very quickly, and I'm going to give it my all. And so here we've got this unity of the Spirit. He says, I want you to endeavor. I want you to study about how to maintain this unity. It's not going to come natural. Anything we're talking about this morning is not going to come natural. Are you going to study on it? Are you going to give your all on it? And then when you do have it, are you going to keep it? It's the idea of like a fortress, an army that says, we've made it to this ground and we're going to build a wall around and we're not going to let anybody move us from this ground. That's the idea of a fortress. And so when he says keep, that's the idea of this. Endeavoring to keep. We have found our place in the unity of the Spirit and it may not be easy to maintain it, but we're going to do it. We have put our our feet in the ground. We have grabbed a hold of it. Hold fast. We're not going to let go of it. Endeavoring to keep the unity, the oneness of the Spirit in what? In the bond of peace. Now, this is what's beautiful. What is the result when a community of believers, the Lord's family, when the Lord's family is unified on the Spirit? Now, all the things we just studied, what is the result? The bond of peace. You want to live in a place where peace exists? Or do you want to live in a place of turmoil, confusion? I would think that most of us in this room would say, I want to live in a place where peace exists. Peace is a bond of peace. It literally is, in, in, by the Greek definition, the word bond is literally a ligament. You have your femur and you have two lower bones. What holds these three bones together so that if you're blessed with the ability this morning to walk and, and you may get up from here and, and maybe you don't have any aches and pains in your knees and, and maybe you will get up when, when the amen is said and you'll start walking to your Bible class and you may not even really think about it. One leg right in front of the other. How can that happen? It cannot happen unless the ligaments are doing what they are designed to do. What do ligaments do? They hold together the other members of the body. The unity of the Spirit holds us together. And it holds us together with something that's far more important than just us. When we think about the... Notice in this passage, he says keeping. So we think about keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
But have you ever thought about how it's created to begin with? Oh, you know it. Most of you would know it very well. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, we have the Beatitudes. And the next to the last Beatitude is one that my mother instilled deeply in our minds every time we failed to display this. I don't know how many times I've heard this growing up. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers. Peace, what? You know, like a watchmaker. What, what do watchmakers do? Make watches. What do peacemakers do? Isn't it interesting how many people say they enjoy peace, but yet they won't do what it takes to make it? Peace is a result of a lot of effort. Matter of fact, if, if you've ever read the Beatitudes here and you've thought to yourself, I, I don't know exactly how's the best way to make peace. Well, a real good recipe for how to make peace is go back and read the text that we're studying today in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and look at verse 2. Whenever we're humble... And whenever we hand the reins of our life over to God, and whenever we're willing to suffer along with others, and we're willing to bear one another's burdens, that is the way to make peace. Now, out of everything I've said, it's not that it all leads up to this, but I'd like for you to tune in real quickly if I've lost you, because this is crucial to everything we are saying today. Please do not think that what we're doing is throwing out some kind of public service ad this morning that's about 30 minutes long to say, hey, wouldn't it be great if we just had peace as a congregation and and it was only an earthly, physical topic? Like, what if if today someone went home and said, oh, we studied today in in the sermon, and we, we studied about how we as families ought to live peacefully. Isn't it wonderful when a family can live peacefully? Or we studied about how a church ought to live peacefully. Isn't it wonderful when a church can live peacefully? Listen, we're not talking about from a selfish perspective. What do you want? And someone says, well, I I want peace. Well, okay then, because it's what I want, that's what I'm going to do. That's not the motive. And that's not the high calling of why we live a peaceful life. Why do we live a peaceful life? It's because it is what God has called us to do. There may be some in this room, your nature is argumentative. There may be someone in this room that you kind of like it when somebody doesn't like you. Listen, what God is calling us to do isn't necessarily about you. What God is calling us to do is about us. It's about His body. Are we going to be unified? Are we going to portray to the community about us what Jesus looks like? Now to be able to do this, We have to be unified, and that unity is powerful. And I wonder how Christ feels. Notice, not how you feel. How does Christ feel when we destroy that unity? Mariano Rivera is statistically the greatest closer of all time. And if you know just a little bit about sports, you know what's happened this past week. 
You know that he was shagging some fly balls before a game. It's just something he always enjoyed doing. And so he went out to center field and he was shagging fly balls. And if you've seen the clip that has played a million times in the last few days, he, he, he went to shag a ball at the warning track and his knee just buckled. He fell into the wall and then he rolled over on the ground. And then immediately, even though this actual picture is a minute or two after this, but his face looked immediately like that when he hit the ground. He hit the ground and, and kind of went into a fetal position, grabbed his knee, made that face. Then he laid out flat on the ground and then he kind of just inched around on the ground. You could tell that the pain was almost unbearable. And then people started running to him. And, and what, what created all of that? A ligament. The greatest closer in baseball will not throw the rest of this year. Why? A ligament. Out of place. Well, it's a good thing he doesn't throw a baseball with his kneecap, right? He'll just put his kneecap off the side and say, it's broken, I'm going to go out and pitch. We understand that doesn't work physically, don't we? Why is it so hard for us to understand that spiritually? Whenever we destroy peace in the body of Christ, are you with me? The body of Christ. What's the head? The body of Christ is the church. We're members. Christ is the head. I would guess that Christ's face looks a lot like that when we destroy peace. I can imagine how it causes Christ to grimace. I can imagine how it just destroys the peace of Christ at that moment where He's just longing for us to work together and to exalt Him. We have to have unity. And in the last three verses that we read this morning, we realize that that unity has to be upon truth. Listen, we never can sacrifice the unity of truth to be unified with someone else. The unity of truth has to be the highest priority because that's the unity of the Spirit. The, God, the Spirit of God revealed the truth to us. And I'd like for you to notice in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse four through six, we have seven ones. And these are foundational truths that's been revealed to us from the Scripture that everything that we believe and are taught in the Scriptures and practice go back to these seven ones. Notice the word one. It's a passage about unity. And so he says, look, there's only one Father, one Son, and one Holy Spirit. And then he begins this passage by saying there's only one church. And then he goes back to what was ordained even before the creation of the world. There's one hope of the calling. There's, in other words, there, there, there's one scheme of redemption, if you will. There's one hope of the calling. And then notice, there is one faith. What is faith? Now you say, you have faith and I have faith. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the system of beliefs that would be practiced if an individual followed only the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And so even though there are many faiths out there, there's only one faith that we are supposed to be putting our faith in. Now that's interesting when today one of the most common phrases that stated at times or topics like this is someone will say, oh, well, you know, that's just your interpretation of the Scripture. Don't fall for that one. It may be your interpretation of the Scripture, but what we must do is make sure that our interpretation of the Scripture is truth. Listen, two plus two is four, and it doesn't matter what your interpretation is, and it doesn't matter what my interpretation is, it's still four. 
You can say 2 plus 2 is 3, and I can say 2 plus 2 is 5, but the truth is, it's still 4. So you would be wise, and I wouldn't be wise to say, I need to change my interpretation, and I need to let God's will reign. There's only one faith, and 2 plus 2 is still 4, and I'm going to submit to that. I can believe that's the Lord's Supper table. You can believe it's the Lord's Supper table. Because I believe it, and because you believe it, doesn't make it the Lord's Supper table. Both of us could say it's not the Lord's Supper table. Guess what? It's still the Lord's Supper table. It is a bunch of foolishness that's being said today when someone reads something in the Word of God, changes it around, and then says, that's my interpretation of it. As if that justifies anything I want to believe. I assure you this. Truth is absolute, and on the day of judgment, there's going to be one faith, and that one faith is the standard that we're going to be judged by, and God is not going to say, what was your interpretation of it? God's going to say, did you submit to it? That's what it is to be a child of God, is to say, I submit to your ways. How many baptisms are there? There's one. How many does the community around us say there are? Oodles. There are many things taught around us that the Bible never teaches about baptism. And what I need to make sure is that I believe in the one baptism that is taught in the Holy Scriptures. What's the point? The point is, if we are going to walk in unity, now please get this, if we are going to walk in unity... The truth must reign supreme as our compass and as our guide. We must be unified on the truth. And once we are unified on the truth, we do need to be unified with each other. And we need to have that humility. We need to have that meekness. We need to have that long-suffering. We must have that willingness to forbear with one another. On this slide, you see a picture of a camera that's disassembled. Now, some of you here are so mechanical, you might look at one particular part and say, oh, I could use that for something. Most of us here would look at this camera and say, even though all the parts are there, that camera would do me no good. Right? You know, when I live apart from the unity of the spirit of the church. I'm kind of like that disassembled camera. I'm apart and I have a place in a greater whole. But the question is, do I choose to do it? And 1 Peter 4 and 10 tells us that we have a part in that greater whole. And second, in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 7, we find out that our part is to profit all. Now, let's say that we all come together and... We each fulfill our part. Here's what's awesome. We keep our focus on Jesus. And we work together to serve each other and the community. And you know what picture it produces? When it's done right, all people see is Jesus. We don't do this so people can see us individually. We live the Christian life so that people can see Jesus. Could there be a greater passage that's simple and to the point to close this lesson than Psalm 133 and verse 1? 
Behold. That means look, linger, grasp it. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. This morning, there's one flock. And that flock belongs to God. And God invites us to come and be a part of it. And He invites us to help make and build the peace within it. He gives us a compass of truth so that we can remain united. But it is up to us whether or not we're going to follow that and whether or not we're going to submit to Him and and serve each other. And, And all we do, people would admire it and say, I see Jesus. I see Jesus in that. Is that what people see in us? If you're not a child of God this morning, we're about to sing a song of encouragement. And if you want to come down and confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins, we would love to assist you with that. Maybe you've done that along the way. You've lost the way of keeping your focus on Jesus. Maybe maybe it's even affected the way you treat other people. Maybe it's affected the way that you've interacted morally or spiritually or socially and You want the forgiveness of sins and you want to come back to your Lord. Let's make sure that in our life, everything that we are and everything that we do is walking worthy of the calling and living together in unity. If we can help you, come as we stand, as we sing. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small.
you, David, for that lesson. Uh, thanks be to God who has given us the right to belong to such a great body. Uh, if you will, pass your attendance cards to the aisle, and if you are a member or guest, we encourage you to fill those out so we can have a record of your attendance. They'll be taken up by our young soldiers serving Christ uh, during this closing song, and we'll have a prayer, and we'll be dismissed to classes. There's a royal banner given for display to the soldiers of the king as an ensign fair.